Hello and welcome to Diagnostics Digest, a podcast by CM Life Science. I'm your host, Nathan Sharp, and my focus is partnering with the best talent and companies in the diagnostic space, with a specialist interest in the point of care and rapid testing market. In today's episode, I speak with David Wells. David is the Chief Executive Officer at the Institute of Biomedical Science about how he led NHS England's testing response to COVID-19 helping to boost the testing capability of the NHS from circa 200 tests per day to 140,000 tests per day. Whether you're interested in David's fascinating story, his long-term goals for the IBMS conference or more insight to the work IBMS do, then please be sure to have a listen. Here it is. I hope you enjoy. Hi, David. Firstly, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I guess for our listeners who aren't aware of yourself or the the, the role you hold, would you mind just giving a, a brief introduction to, to, to yourself and, and, uh, and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm, uh, I'm David Wells. I'm the Chief Executive of the Institute of Biomedical Science, which is the professional body that represents... Uh, all of the, the biomedical scientists, people who work within biomedical science within uh, within the UK, but actually across across the globe as well. Um, that's my that's my day job, if you like. I also um, am the scientific lead for pathology for uh, the NHS in the London region uh, as a as a as a part time role that I do. Great, no, th- thank you for that. And I think we actually attended the, uh, the the conference you did earlier in the year and that's where the interest came to then invite you on the podcast i wanted to obviously find out a little bit more about your role and and the purpose ibms serves as well and i think a good place to probably start is um i guess if i throw you back to march 2021 um you've just been appointed a uh, chief executive of the ibms obviously a, a great time for you but what were the goals that you i guess set out at that time uh, for the IBMS and how are they uh, looking at the moment as well? So I mean, first of all, I, I, I suppose for me, being appointed as the, the chief executive of my professional body was a very, very proud moment. And it's a, certainly a, a job on my list of jobs to do before I retire. So to having the opportunity and also then to have the honor to be selected to do it was, I, I was uh, incredibly proud and pleased uh, and um uh, so i do so I have to thank all my colleagues um who, who put their trust in me first off um in terms of what was the what is what's on the to-do list if you like i suppose really post the post-pandemic world in in biomedical science and diagnostics is very very different um and therefore we've got to do things very differently as well and the institute has really um, set out its stall on being the, the provider, the professional body. It, um, it, it provides the certificate of competence for people to become state registered biomedical scientists. It also supplies a route for people to become uh, a, a clinical scientist and go into expert practice. Um, and uh, that uh, all those things need still to happen. Um, they need to happen in a more agile way, and we need to make sure that whilst maintaining the standards that the um, health um, care professionals council give us um and in terms of our requirements of how and what we should do and what what attributes we should have as as biomedical scientists we need to make sure that that is as um uh, 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 makes as much sense as possible to make sure we've got as much workforce available to the system as possible that's a that's the first thing that i need to do 
qualities were set up at the start of my my tenure mm-hmm. the other thing really was to really capitalize on our our, our visibility yep. post pandemic so you know across the globe biomedical scientists were undertaking testing for covid19 in the millions of tests per day across mm-hmm. the globe and that really required biomedical scientists it required people who had that knowledge and skills and capability to understand the tests to know what the test meant to introduce new technology etc and i think certainly what we found at the institute was because the, we were not a known profession we were people didn't really know that what we were doing or what or, or what our importance was mm. to the healthcare system you know we don't just do covid we do every single test under the sun and, and you know i often say to people the great thing about biomedical science is that you're you literally look after people from before conception till after death and and um people didn't know that so mm. one of the other things that the institute needs to do um, and what i want us to make sure we do is make sure we maintain that visibility uh, and build upon it and people recognize that platform of how important it is to have a very competent highly educated highly trained workforce um to to deliver healthcare um, services for for our country and and, and countries across the world yeah. and um without that capability we will never see improvements in managing cancer or diabetes or or long-term conditions or acute conditions uh, unless we maintain that and so so for me that's really really important and so that's those two things really one is making sure we've got the right workforce doing the right things exploring mm-hmm. new roles and taking our profession to new heights but also making sure people know who we are and why we do things and why it's important we do things in certain ways that's great thank thank you very much i think obviously two really important points for, for, for sure you, you mentioned the visibility part what type of activities have you been doing to, to to do that obviously you've got the conference but aside from that what else have you have you guys been been doing to, to raise that visibility yeah so that's the main thing we've been doing so obviously we've produced a, a, a strategy that takes us from 2022 to through for five years right and one of those key parts is around what we call a policy unit. So we're establishing the ability for us to start talking to the UK governments, that's all of the devolved nations and, and the Westminster Parliament, but also start talking to other countries around the world as well in raising that profile, having conversations with people about what people do, um, inviting people and in, 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 uh, partaking in parliamentary discussions um, with, through uh, our work with the all parliamentary groups yeah. Um, making sure that we um, are on the stage um, at important events is another important thing. You mentioned our conference, which is one of the largest, certainly certainly the largest in England in, in the UK, but probably one of the largest in Europe in terms of raising our profile. And we were able to attract a number of not only key speakers, so we had Professor John Van Tam, but also uh, key politicians such as uh, Lord Bethel, who is a, a former health minister, to come along and actually spend a lot of time uh, with us at that conference to see what we do but also to continue those conversations outside so we continue to have dialogue with with like i said with parliamentarians and uh, and with uh, civil servants and making sure that we're integral into that and uh, making sure that we're offering that helping hand of making sure that people recognize that we're an organization they can come to to get advice yeah an organization they come to 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 get some key messages from and also an organization that can help provide guidance that is in keeping with what they need to do and, and a prime example of that is the recent shortage in the supply of wax um, to, into the UK yep. uh, and we've been pivotal in producing some of the guidance there uh, to support 
the four nations, so NHS England and the devolved nations, in making sure that the right advice is given to the system uh, so that they can, they, we can make sure that that shortage of wax does not become a, a critical issue for us. And that's the sort of thing we can do is to make sure we're part of the conversations, part of the infrastructure, and people know they can come to us to get yeah. the information they need and to get their information out as well. Great. No, th thank you for that. Re really, really good to understand that. Question I wanted to lean on, and it was more of a getting a real insight into this. And you were you were obviously leading the NHS England's testing response to COVID nineteen. Um, I, I believe you helped them boost their kind of testing capabilities. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this and and, and maybe, well, not maybe, probably the struggles you, you you kind of had throughout this time. I think we're all aware of of, of how quickly that had to ramp up. But an insight into that would be would, would be great if you if you could share one. I mean, it's a, it's a it is a very rare opportunity as a scientist to actually be able to serve your country, and I and I and I, and I really do say that in the in the genuine terms of actually. I think um, uh, for me personally, I was in the right place at the right time mm. and to, to provide that support. Um, but I know across the country, there are many other biomedical scientists and, and clinical scientists who are involved in that huge struggle to build a capability that the country didn't have beforehand. So so for me, it was a very proud moment to be able to lead what is actually a, a massive team of people, you know, hundreds of people in terms of delivering that that capability my my team within NHS England was quite small there's about five of us um, at, at the start mm -hmm. and, and by the end it was a, a much bigger team of maybe you know 30 or 40 people but at the start it was just five and and uh, we brought together the 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 laboratory managers or the, the pathology incident directors as they became known uh, to help us build that capability and, and, and to give you an idea of the scale we started um, January um, 2020 with the ability to probably process uh, in, in NHS uh, laboratories mm. maybe a couple of hundred COVID tests per day and, and, and it really was that number yeah um, within weeks and I mean within weeks we were able to process 25,000 per day and in fact actually the NHS capability uh, outstrips the public health capability as in the, the, the pillar two laboratory capability for a very long time in our in our volume yeah. and speed in which we're ramping it up and i think that was one of the real um uh, probably lessons learned to be learned from the system was actually that diffuse ability for the nhs with all of its resources to stand up that capability it meant that we were were able to get sound that capability and you know, it was an exceedingly trying times and um uh, I, I dread to think, I mean, you know, mine is just one example of, I'm sure, repeated up and down the country, but, you know, working 80 or 90 hours per week, I think I had two days off during 2022, wow. so 2020, 2020. Yeah. that was Christmas Day and Boxing Day um, for, for numerous reasons, but it, but it, it, in essence, you know, we were working really hard, but it was, you know, uh, at the time, we you could not under, underestimate the importance of knowing the states of people with, with COVID time. Yeah. Bear in mind that at the start of the pandemic, you know, the number of people who were dying from the early variants of, of COVID mm. was staggering and scary, I think. And and I think it was um you know at a time that probably a lot of people found harrowing and difficult and, and I'm sure that many people involved in that fight were finding it also equally harrowing and difficult. And I'm sure we will all uh, look back with PTSD in some some uh, circumstances. But, I suppose, but but for me, I, I say it was a real proud moment because genuinely, you know, it showed what we could do as a profession. 
it showed what what our public health system was able to do, which is just phenomenal. You know, it is able to stand up a capability that it had never seen before. Like I said, we're up to 25,000 mm -hmm. tests per day within a, a matter of weeks of being asked to do that. And yeah. I remember phone calls with um, you know, with uh, Matt Hancock, who was the then health secretary, and, and Simon Stevens, who was then the head of the, of the NHS, um, you know, just pleading with, with our teams to do what they can. And they did. They yeah. did exactly and then roll forward to October 2020, and we had the capability of analysing COVID within the, within the NHS of about 140,000 tests per day, uh, or, or thereabouts, um, in, in a range of models of, of high throughput laboratories that meant that people in um, could have their tests done uh, at, a, at an appropriate speed in large volumes. Mm -hmm. But also in our hospitals, we had COVID tests that were being done within minutes of a patient turning up in A&E to, to assess whether they need to be in a COVID secure yep. area or a, or, or a COVID ward. And you know, that probably saved thousands of lives, that ability to know where to put people mm -hmm. uh, when we're at our various different peaks. You know, it cannot, I cannot underestimate of, you know, how much control we had, uh, although it may have felt like um, we were not controlling disease. Yeah. Actually, the, the testing we were doing was making a massive difference and probably saving thousands upon thousands of lives and reducing thousands upon thousands of, in, of infections by making sure people are aware of their status. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is a you know is a, is a huge thing. We saw countries where where it really did run through the country, and we did have a very high rate. I mean, make no no mistake in terms of our our, our rate of infection. Um, but I, I wonder how much worse it would have been if we hadn't have been able to test. Oh, yeah. It's, so. yeah. it's probably quite... Yeah, you probably don't want to kind of dwell on that too much. No, I, don't think, yeah. I don't think you want to think about it. No, no, no I, I, I tried to then, but I, it's not... A... And, and, and I think I think actually the fact that the hospitals remained open, the fact that hospitals remained yeah. to a point where they were able still to, to receive patients, that we didn't see... The Nightingale hospitals used in in large volumes. They weren't. They were they were they were largely not used um, for their purpose whatsoever, and that's a testament to the, the success. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I I think when you, you started by saying serving your country as as a scientist, and I, I I think that probably sums that whole period up as well. If I, if I'm honest with you, um really like super super impressive when i actually saw that the kind of how quickly the the tests had been scaled up by uh nhs england and the, the time that that had been done it, it's so impressive as well and like you say if it hadn't been in place and that that testing hadn't been in place um yeah it's it's probably not i think what i think i'm sorry to interrupt you, talk no, to no. you but i think this, but this but this really does set the example of why uh, biomedical scientists and organisations you know, such, such as the Institute of Biomedical Science are so mm -hmm. important because that level of knowledge and skills out there in every single hospital laboratory meant we could do that. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't have people who had those knowledge and skills and had that educational training they had to, to, to achieve, the assessment of their competence to practice and then the ongoing education throughout their career, yeah. we wouldn't have been able to do it. And we would have had to have taught people how to do the validations. We would have, have to teach people how to handle samples and in some countries that that's what happens yeah but in this country um and, and in the uk broadly we you know we were able to say to people please do this yeah and they knew what they were going to do they knew how they were going to do it and they could get on and do it you mentioned there like the importance of of having that skill set and knowledge that we could rely on and was so important and and you've obviously been working with ibms for a number of years now even prior i guess to your 
commitment mm. as, as as CEO. And you touched on it there, but how important do you think an institute like IBMS is? You you mentioned before the visibility and and people learning that they are you are there to go to for advice and to 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 speak mm. with as well. But how important do you think it is to have something like this? So I mean, and I'll I'll caveat this with we're saying we're not the only professional bodies. Yeah, yeah there is there are others out there. So the Royal College of Pathologists. The Association of Clinical Biochemistry, the the, uh, the Association of, um, of Clinical Pathologists, yeah. and us and others, you know, we we are all important because actually we're a place where experts can come together, uh, experts can make sure that um, we're applying the standards set out by 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 law. So, for example, the practice of uh, biomedical science or clinical science as a registered profession. Uh, it has to meet the requirements set out by the quality assurance uh, framework. It needs to meet the requirements of the HCPC. Uh, and we as a professional body can make sure that we, A, those those standards make sense yep. uh, in terms of when we come to influence them, but also we can make sure we can measure people against them and we can set out what is the measure against them. Um, and that's, that's the first thing. That's to make sure we get the right people in, in, the, in the profession. The second part is... We come together with a, you know, with a, a professional voice, a, a learned voice about what we should do and what we should. Do. And it's not, it, it, I wouldn't say it's not. Um, it's one that we can form because we've got committees, we've got council, which is what I used to sit on before I became chief executive. Um, we have uh, experts with our special advisory panels across those professional bodies, or people who are individual experts in their discipline, and it gives us the ability to delve deeply and provide. Uh, very robust and expert considered um, advice to the system mm. from experts who who generally can say, okay, well, and those experts aren't people who have just been plucked off the street as claimed experts. Yeah. They're people that we've sat together and said, okay, this person meets the criteria that we would suggest as a, an expert and therefore can speak on on, on what we ask them to speak upon. And, and I think that's really important. Um, so I'd, I'd never ever underestimate the importance of that ability so that when people do speak, it's with authority and, and you know, uh, one of the things that we need to do better, actually, if I'm being honest, you know, we need to do better with all the professional bodies to make sure that when we provide advice and guidance, that we're clear that we're providing it because we are the learned society yeah. and, and the people who represent us have got that knowledge and skills to, to do that. In the same way as you wouldn't want a, you know, a, a surgeon who's never conducted brain surgery before do or brain surgery, mm -hmm. you want someone who's who's been assessed to say yes you can do this that's what we want and that's what we do i think yeah uh, and so people can rely upon the information given to them you mentioned the other kind of institutes there as well how, how much and this is a genuine curiosity because i'm unaware you're obviously aware of each other and, and and probably very well connected with the other people within those institutes how much communication is there i guess between the, the institutes to then like you say together maybe raise that awareness and together kind of uh work together to make yeah. sure it's as a whole you're kind of raising it really yeah we do and then and actually this is this is one of the great things I and mean, this is one of the things i love about working within pathology actually is that we mm -hmm. are I'm, I'm, i was i would use the word family actually because i think that that does sum it up really well you know i i speak to uh, my counterparts in those other professional bodies on a very regular basis mm -hmm. i mean and you know for example um, you know, Deborah Paget, who's our president, and, and I um, probably meet with, meet or speak with Mike Osborne, the current president of the Royal College of Pathologists, on a weekly basis. Right. Uh, you know, we we are we are that often. We're talking to each other. Um, 
Well, I think about my colleagues uh, working in the ACB, so Bernie Kroll, who's current president, and Jane Pritchard, their chief executive. I speak to them on a, on a you know, maybe once a fortnight, if not more often, basis. Mm. You know, we all bring something different to the table. And so we all rely upon each other to make sure what we bring to the table is then is utilised to the best effect for the profession. Yeah. And I think it's a very, very collaborative area. You know, we, 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 I mean, you know, we are compete in some parts, but we don't compete in far more parts. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it, particularly our relationship. I, I, I very much uh, pride our relationship with the Royal College of Pathologists with our, uh, in terms of our advanced qualifications and, um, and the fact that we have a, 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 an observer seat on their council and they've got an observer seat on our council. Okay. It means that we really do work hand in hand. Um, and I think that's really important because we both represent, as I said, different components. They represent mainly the medics. They do represent scientists as well. Mm. We represent the, the, the main body of, of, of scientists and, and the education providers. Um, and that means we bring different things to the table. Mm. Uh, and our strength together is, you know, it's that, that phrase, better together, you know, is, is true, actually. It is really true. And I'm really pleased that we have that relationship. And I, I, I sincerely hope that those relationships continue for, for, for a long time to come. Um, but I'll caveat that with one thing, which is that the Institute is not afraid to sound its own two feet. It is still an independent organization and yeah. it will still do and say what it thinks are the right things to do or say if it if it doesn't agree with its yeah. its fellow family members. <laughs> no, great, great. I, that that that's really really good to, to, to understand and from a from an outside perspective, obviously I don't have a technical knowledge in terms of being a scientist or anything like that. So I'm not part of any in term, I mean, part of the IFC kind of attend and kind of try and keep my finger on the pulse with those conversations as much as possible. So it's good to kind of see that insight really and, and understand it a little bit more. And we mentioned it before, you, you obviously have the conference. I mean, we were lucky enough to, to come and attend in Birmingham this year. We were down there for, um, we were down there for two days actually. Such a great event. So congratulations on, on, on that. It was some really great speakers and just kind of so well organized as a whole. What's the plans for this conference over the next few years? How are you planning on adapting it, growing it, making sure you're still kind of, it's still such a kind of, people are coming to learn and people are coming to be educated as well. And, and, and I guess keeping that part is obviously very important to you guys, right? Yeah, no, it is. And, and I think um, I, mean, I have to take my hat off. You know, I, I don't organise this conference. Yeah. My, my deputy, Sarah May, and uh, an organisation called STEP um, support us in, in putting on the conference. Like I said, it is huge. And the planning for it takes, uh, it's every two years. Uh, the planning for it takes every day of those two years. Yeah. Um, you know, we're delivering uh, simultaneously you know, up to 10 lecture lectures at the same time across the whole um, of the, uh, the the organization. The speakers all arranged from our, our special advisory panels. So the speakers we know are of high quality and of interest uh, to organizations. We know that they're people who have got something to say that people want to hear and listen to. Um, and um, the the uh, companies, the companies who come along and, and exhibit their products, I mean, they're absolutely vital to the, the success of Congress. Without them coming along and demonstrating their equipment, um, I think we would we would um, uh, we would struggle, and we we would be able, would be able to um, uh, put on such a, a big show, if you like, because 
you know, people come to learn, but they also come to see and learn about the, the technical side of things. They come to uh, to visualize the, the new technology that's available. Um, they also come to network. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the, 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 there is a, a big social event that goes alongside the co Congress, um, and and I think that's what makes it a success. And and it and it has you know, it's growing from strength to strength. And this was the the first one uh, since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, I will be honest and say I I didn't know how successful it would be, um, but it ended up being one of our most successful provinces ever um, in our in our very long history. Um, so, you know, I think we have to be really pleased with that. In terms of well, what's next and how should it go? Well, um, we're already planning a bigger and better congress for 2023 in September. Okay. Um, We've already booked out more space in Birmingham than we've ever booked out before to, to accommodate that. Um, I, it will still mainly be in person because I think the really important part is about bringing people together. Um, I think we're, it's really important to get people in a room to hear lectures, to get people uh, to network and be able to exchange ideas and conversations and be involved in some of the, you know, not just lectures, but also in walking around the trade show, talking to the suppliers, um, engaging in other areas, we, we're, we're hoping that um, uh, we know that there are new standards coming out for ISO 15189, and we're, we're working with UCAS to make sure that we put it on a program that also supports people in, in that part. Mm -hmm. um, I know we're, we're talking um, broadly about what else we need to you know, to put on on on, the, uh, on our in our in our in our meeting mm -hmm. to make sure we bring together the leaders of our professions as well in in different ways so i think uh, that's really our plan our plan is to do what we did last year uh, but bigger um <laughs> I've, i'm hoping that actually um that will make better as well and make it more relevant for people mm -hmm. um like i said you know our profession is so diverse you know we touch virtually every single part of medicine yeah um, and to be able to put a conference on that covers that diversity, uh, ha it means it has to be big for it to be relevant, yeah, yeah. Um, and it has to be broad in its in its appeal. So I'm hoping that we can continue to do that. Um, but if I was to say outside that the conference, yep. um, we also have our biomedical science live events. Okay. So this next one is coming up in November. These are all virtual, um, and we also want to put on more webinars to make sure that actually people have access to the conference. So you know, one of the complaints we get, which is fair, is the conference is in person. Mm -hmm. And what if I can't get away from the lab? Um, we do record some of the content, but not all the content. Um, but our intention is to put on more webinars over the years, which are free to members. Yep. Um, that actually means that people can actually still access the learning even if they can't access perhaps the you know, the in-person networking yeah that's great no like i said it's it's, it's a, it was a fantastic event this year and like i say if, if continuing to, to to grow it i mean it has such a i want to say loyal following obviously the members come but then even outside of that as well i think it even kind of um people see it as such a good educational tool networking tool um to to, to come and be a part of as well it is, I mean, it's fantastic. We have students coming from universities. We have a, a students' day where they come and they have lectures tailored towards them. And we, yeah. like, uh, you know, I mean, I, it really is. I, I, like I said, I claim no responsibility for the success of it yeah. at all, none whatsoever. Um, it is all down to other people. But I'm really proud of what we do, yeah. and have always been proud of what we do. And I think it's really good. No, fantastic. And to be honest, that I was going to end on saying what is next for for yourself and for IBMS, but I think 
you give a fairly good overview there and, and unless there's any uh, points that you feel are, are quite crucial to bring up or you want to bring awareness to people um then, well, then please i mean the main i mean the main thing for the main thing for me our, our future is very bright and, and and as a profession we've got an awful lot to give you know the 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 world of biomedical science that exists in academia within healthcare delivery within technology and innovation is going to be the way that we live a healthcare of the future. Yeah. Uh, no, no two ways about it. That, that is how healthcare will be delivered, and it will move increasingly to to that end, relying upon scientific knowledge and understanding about disease, so that it can we can drive patient pathways better. Um, and I think what I need to do is, is the institute's been around since about 1912, is to make sure that the next 114 years, um, it it continues to evolve and grow in a way that actually is. Uh, sustainable, uh, safe, secure for for the institute, but also making sure we continue to speak up and evolve our membership and give it the, the membership and our, our profession all the the tools and and um, uh, um, uh, capabilities and competencies that they need to yeah. to deliver that. Um, and for all of this is at the centre of all of this is um, a, a safe, patient-centred service. And that's what we're after: is, is safe medicine mm-hmm. that's accessible, that's it, 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 uh, delivered with equality and, and equality of access. And that's how we'll we'll do that. And I'll end with just one other thing, which is mm-hmm. also something else that's is increasing on our on our radar, is that we also need to talk to the values of our our, our members. And um, we recently launched our our EDI group to make sure that we continue with that that diversity of membership, you know, of bringing people in to make sure equality of access into the professions is there. But also things such as sustainability yeah. and and having an awareness of actually well what does delivery of healthcare mean in a world where actually we may need to change our energy usage we may need to change our our um, approach to uh, pl- plastics yeah. and and petroleum products and 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 our and just knowing better our environmental footprint so you know there's a lot there's a lot still to happen to make sure we can still do that. That's great. Uh, look. From 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 myself, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your your day to to speak with us and give give an insight into yourself, um, IBMS, and and obviously the um, the testing kind of response that you were a part of as well. I, I really appreciate it. It's such a kind of valuable insight um, for for not just myself, but but for kind of uh, the network that we have as well. Um, and 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 yeah, like I said, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, that was my Diagnostics Digest with David Wells, CEO of the Institute of Biomedical Science. I'd like to thank David again for his time and the insight he provided on the Institute and its story so far. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the points we discussed during the podcast could gain some valuable perspectives from his role and the experience he has within the industry. Check out the rest of the series for plenty more insight from industry leaders in the diagnostic space. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Nathan Sharp. Bye for now.